This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week serves as the ranking member on the Senate Agriculture Committee, Michigan U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. From high-powered seeds and traits to innovative biological and chemical crop protection products, Bayer Crop Science delivers science for a better life. More with Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow next on Open Mic. Our task is simple yet monumental, to provide enough food for the world while protecting it at the same time. We believe that with the right combination of innovative science, tenacious problem solving, and unshakable passion, we can do it. We will meet the needs of today while laying a foundation for a better tomorrow. With One World to Grow On, we strive to deliver innovative solutions that help maximize farm yields, secure harvests from devastating disease and pests, and keep our world healthy and beautiful. From high-powered seeds and traits to innovative biological and chemical crop protection products, Bayer Crop Science delivers science for a better life. For more information, visit BayerCropScience.us. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow played a critical role in bringing leaders together to approve the 2014 Farm Bill. And now she and other agriculture leaders are ready to defend the funds and the programs they fought so hard to bring to law. We are in the process of protecting it in the budget process. As you know, we worked so hard. It took a long time. Farmers, ranchers, families deserve certainty of five-year economic policy so they can make decisions. Decisions, they're entering contracts. The idea that in the budget process folks would want to op- that, open that up again and cut some more is just astounding to me. And so uh, we did not do that in the Senate budget resolution. The House did. We'll find out, uh, you know, what's going to happen here very shortly. But um, I think it's a tremendous mistake and unfair because we cut more than anybody else. No other part of the budget uh, cut more than we did or consolidated more than we did. I think they should focus on other parts of the budget, not a critical part of our economy. Secretary Vilsack suggested that even the small percentage cuts over a period of time have reduced the staff and the effectiveness of the Department of Agriculture. So while if the whole of programs are protected, they still suffer. It's a very good point because folks will say, well, we'll just cut administrative costs. Well, that means the local FSA office that's, that you you know that you need in order to be able to uh, administer programs, to, in order to be able to sign up for programs. I mean, the administrative cost in the USDA is actually very small. But what they do, if you're going to sign up for crop insurance, one of the new commodity programs, conservation programs, there has to be somebody there uh, that can do that for you. So we have tightened things up. We've cut over a hundred programs and. Uh, it's consolidated things, consolidated conservation programs to streamline things. I think that Congress ought to be looking somewhere else rather than asking farmers and ranchers to do it again. When you started the work of writing the bill, commodity prices were at one level, and now commodity prices right. are at another level. Right. Are you confident that the program that was signed into law is still effective to be the safety net 
and is there concern that it would cost more than initially had been estimated? Well, the whole point of a safety net is to be there uh, if prices drop or if there's a weather disaster. And that's what's been happening on prices. And so we'll see. We'll want to hear from uh, farmers and ranchers. I can tell you the very first program we activated after the Farm Bill was the Livestock Disaster Assistance Program out west. Thank goodness that was in place. Uh, Yes, it's costing a lot, but look at the drought. Look at what's happening. Uh, So we'll see. I mean, there's a a strengthened crop insurance program, more commodities able to purchase, more diversity of crops able to purchase crop insurance, which is a uh, risk management tool where the cost is shared with the farmer and the USDA. So we shall see. But what I tell my colleagues all the time is there is not a riskier business than farming. Nobody else gets up in the morning to check the weather to determine what's going to happen to their business. So we all have a stake in this. That's why we have a farm bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, if some of the things, uh, the commodity programs, you know, we did a couple of new things. If they don't work as well as they should, then we need to fix it in the next farm bill. How important to preserve the integrity of crop insurance? Because there are some who would like to offer a means test or change the amount of taxpayer subsidy that comes to producers to make it affordable. Is it time to amend that insurance program or let it run? Well, we can always look at crop insurance like every other program, but I don't think we ought to be means testing. I mean, this is insurance. This is insurance, so it doesn't matter how small or how large the farm. It's insurance, and you should be able to get it and get support for it. One of the great things uh, that we did was expand to small farmers. So we have now a whole farm policy. So if you grow a small amount of a lot of things, you can also get crop insurance. So I think the the new policies, uh, my fruit and vegetable growers in Michigan now will have more access. It's very important we get those up and going. Certainly any program can be tweaked, but I think crop insurance is a, a critical part of risk management. I would be interested your evaluation of the first three months of the 114th Congress. What do you say of the new order and of the budget process and of debate? Well, we've been able to get a couple of things done, but um, we still have way too many people, interestingly, who are now in the majority rather than the minority, who still want to shut everything down. And when you're in charge, you're supposed to be trying to make things work and work across the aisle. So uh, we, you know, there were issues around Homeland Security where there were threats of shutting down the Homeland Security Department over a fight with the president on an unrelated issue, those kinds of things don't help us get anything done. Now, we have had other areas where we have been able to come together. My biggest concern, though, is the budget and the priorities that have been laid out in, unfortunately, what was an entirely partisan budget that was um, uh, passed. When they put forward more cuts in agriculture, that is exactly the wrong direction. When we see cuts in Medicare, uh, cuts in in, uh, nursing home care for seniors, makes no sense to me. So I think the budget itself was pretty out of
out of touch, at least with the people in Michigan. With regard to trade, obviously it's important to U.S. agriculture. Uh, there is the debate that is going on with Trade Promotion Authority for the Obama administration. There is talk of the Trans-Pacific Partnership and specifically the relationship between the U.S. and Japan. The sticking point in the talks between the U.S. and Japan is said to be agriculture and automobiles, right. Right. which are common to your home state. How do you view this debate on trade and the bigger picture? Because it's not cut and dried, is it? It's not cut and dried. You know, I have supported trade agreements when they made sense and opposed others. Uh, we're a big export state in Michigan. I just want to export our products, not our jobs. And particularly with Japan, I mean, they don't want to open their borders to a number of ag products. Of course, rice being at the top of the list. And they won't allow any American automobiles to be sold in Japan at all. And how many Japanese cars do we have in Michigan? So uh, there's a number of tough issues. And in manufacturing, things like manipulating currency is uh, a real killer. I mean, we've seen one of the Japanese companies whose total profit a few years ago was off of currency manipulation. Uh, so we, uh, you know, it's complicated for me. Uh, I want to see the, the uh, markets open. That's why I'm strongly supporting Cuba as well and opening borders to Cuba. But uh, it's very difficult for me if I don't see a level playing field on trade for manufacturing as well. Many times to get trade promotion authority or fast track, there's been TAA, trade adjustment assistance. Are there particular things that the Congress could employ that would make it easier for your state? Definitely trade adjustment assistance is absolutely critical. And that really just means that somebody's going to lose their job because of changes in the economy, globalization, and so on. Their job goes overseas, that we do job training. Uh, people have, uh, I think, the right to have an opportunity to gain different skills, to be able to get jobs, uh, good-paying jobs, care for their families, and so on. And trade adjustment assistance has allowed that kind of job training. And so it is absolutely critical that those things are in place to allow somebody who loses their job because of trade to go back to school, to get the training they need, to be able to live and care for their family while they're doing that, and have a, a fair shot to succeed in the economy. Many who have reservations about TPA have the problem with a simple up or down vote. Right. They'd like to be able to go inside the administration and supporters say, you can't have 535 amendments to a trade deal and hope to bring it across the finish line. Well, that's the tough part, right? Because uh, they have to be able to negotiate, certainly, and, and the, our negotiating partners uh, have to know that they're actually negotiating with the right people in, in terms of the administration. But that's why the negotiating objectives that are laid out in Fast Track TPA are absolutely critical. And that's my concern right now. We have to say, if you meet these things, mm -hmm. then it can be an up or down vote. But it has to be enforceable. And right now, the language, in my judgment, is not strong enough. For instance, if we're going to say that currency manipulation and the Pacific, uh, the, the Asian countries particularly, are cheating on that, then I want to know that they have to put something in there on currency manipulation. It has to be enforceable. If they do that, then fine. We're happy to give them fast-track authority and up-or-down vote. But you can't ignore those negotiating principles. And right now, the language is not strong enough. 
this president has taken action toward normalizing trade with Cuba. They're 90 miles to our south and certainly an opportunity for agriculture. Some are, are bent that it should happen and others are bent that it should not. Is this a headline or is this an item of the agenda you expect to be before the Congress? I hope it's going to be before Congress. I've had the opportunity to be in Cuba on a couple of occasions to meet with the Minister of Agriculture, Foreign Minister, with the President uh, Castro and others about this. Uh, I think one of the best ways to open things up for the Cuban people, frankly, is to address economics, and that is trade. And for us, it is a great multi-billion dollar new market. They not only need our products, but farm equipment is a huge issue. I talked with them about the fact that most of they're organized mostly around cooperatives. Most of their co-ops don't even have one tractor. They don't have any kind of equipment. So there's all kinds of markets for us. And uh, I'm hopeful we can get the embargo lifted and really make that happen. There seems to be an affinity for the Cuban people, but a concern about about the Cuban government, and therein lies the rub. I think the way you change the Cuban government is to give more uh, economic power to the Cuban people. And so uh, when you travel to Cuba right now, you can't use your cell phone. Uh, But if they bring tourists in, if they bring farmers and businesses in, people will expect to be able to use their cell phones. They'll have to fix that. They're going to have to open things up. There will be a natural change in terms of more freedoms for the Cuban people that will give them the power then to change their government. We've been doing the same thing for over 50 years. It hasn't worked. I don't know. I kind of was brought up saying if you try something for, for that long and it doesn't work, maybe you ought to try something else. Let's talk about kids because child nutrition has become a really big issue. There is the policy of child nutrition and then there is the emotion that's come. I think the first lady's been involved and some who would suggest that you either follow the plan or you practically don't care about kids. How do you see the nutrition debate? Should there be flexibility, or should we stay the course with the plan? Well, I think there is flexibility. We gave flexibility in the last appropriations bill uh, on uh, whole wheat and on sodium levels. Uh, We have given flexibility. About 93% of the schools are following uh, the efforts right now. The big question is uh, childhood obesity and what's happening to our next generation. And it's interesting to me that actually the school lunch program started after World War II by the Department of Defense. It was President Truman, President Eisenhower worried about physical fitness for those they wanted to serve in the military. Fast forward now, childhood obesity levels are much, much higher. We have a group of generals that have formed 450 retired generals who have formed something called Mission Readiness, who are sounding all kinds of alarms because they said 70% of the people who walk in the recruiting station who are 18 Mm -hmm. to 24 are not fit to serve. And most of that is obesity. And so they're saying, hey, this has now become a national security issue. So if you count health care costs, if you count being physically fit to serve, uh, there's a lot of, and, and as a parent and now a grandparent, I can tell you, 
the idea of having to give a half a cup of fruit or vegetable uh, with uh, lunch, I don't think is too much to do for our children in their future. There are some who will say, and even I as a parent, kids come home and they're hungry, or the food that they had they didn't eat, and there's discussion of food waste. Is that just a part of the process of staying the course, or some other changes that can be implemented? Well, first I have to say, I don't know about you, but there were always kids throwing food away when I was in school. I mean, I just saw nobody jumping up and down like, hey, let's take everybody out to school lunch, you know. I mean, this whole idea that suddenly, you know, school lunches are are not good, Um, and kids are always hungry. And so I guess what I I would just say is that I think we need to settle down, look at the whole purpose for this. You know, we've given flexibility. We want to support our schools. I think the biggest concern to me is making sure that there's enough funding, because I think the folks that are trying to do this get caught both ways. They get cut cut locally, and then they can't meet the requirements. But um, this idea of kids having a half a cup of fruit and vegetable uh, with their lunch or breakfast, I think is pretty basic, and I think that uh, let's work together to make sure that, that kids have what they need. Let's stay on the topic of food for just a moment then. In the House, uh, Mr. Pompeo has introduced legislation, voluntary labeling uh, food that has an ingredient that might contain uh, a genetically enhanced crop. Do you see that legislation in the Senate, and how do you see that debate? Well, first of all, I support biotechnology. I support science, and I think science you know, should lead us on what's uh, safe and not safe. Uh, science should lead us on uh, things like climate change. I just think we should believe in science, and I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I want to make sure whatever we do is uh, based on sound science and allows us to continue to feed uh, a healthy world. So I'll take a look at the, the legislation. I'm a little concerned that they, you know, they're looking at definitions that aren't necessarily based on sound science. I think we have to be very careful going down that road. So we've got to take a close look at the legislation. But um, the uh, the fact is that you know we should be dealing with the facts on what's safe and not safe. And if something's not safe, the FDA mm-hmm. certainly should step in. And finally, your state has a lot of water. And we spoke recently with Senator Durbin, who suggested that instead of going immediately after the EPA's new definition of waters of the U.S., we should let the final rule be introduced and then decide if Congress needs to step in. A lot of angst in the agriculture community about what might be from EPA and the Corps of Engineers. Does Congress act? How soon does Congress act? Well, we'll know soon about the final rule. Uh, I have weighed in with letters, with meetings, and during the budget process offered uh, an amendment that passed, actually passed unanimously, that said uh, that clean water is really important. Uh, I mean, our farmers and ranchers need water. They need clean water. But we have to make sure the traditional exemptions for agriculture and forestry and others remain in place. And so that is my focus. It's not a saying we shouldn't protect our water, but we've got to make sure that we don't add new burdens to agriculture. So I had an amendment that passed that said 
keep the traditional exemptions for agriculture, and then, of course, we all support having a strong uh, Clean Water Act. Senator, thank you so much for taking time in your busy schedule to visit with us on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and the audience is yours. Well, let me just say, I think in this budget process, I hope Congress is going to keep their hands off the farm bill. Our thanks to U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, the ranking member on the Senate Agriculture Committee, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. From high-powered seeds and traits to innovative biological and chemical crop protection products, Bayer Crop Science delivers science for a better life. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Downley.